You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, your number one source for everything hunting, shooting, fishing, and a little bit of politics. Sit back and relax as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today. You'll learn valuable tips and tricks that you can use on your next trip into the field to make you a more successful hunter, shooter, and fisherman. Now here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Jason Selms, and this is episode 15, a CZ exhibition shooter and hunter, Tom Knapp. Uh, this is February 2012, and this is going to be extravaganza month. We are going to have episode 15 and episode 16 uh, back to back, uh, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic, because in this podcast with Tom Knapp, uh, we talk about everything from you know, wing shooting to politics to his exhibition shooting, his shotguns, what shotguns he uses, uh, about his 100 acres up in Minnesota that he uses to hunt deer on. And and this was a great podcast. Uh, we did this podcast probably over about two days and uh, I had a great time talking with Tom. He's not only just a really, really, really passionate hunter, but he's also quite funny too. So, And uh, he's been in the industry long enough and, and longer than most people. And you know he's had a great time doing it. Uh, he you know he has a lot of people that follow him and loves shooting, and that's what it's all about. Uh, so and we also talk about uh, his uh, Argentinian dove hunting as well, which you know a lot of people know. I love wing shooting. And uh, we had a great time talking about that as well. So, also, if you didn't know, uh, on the 22nd of January 2012, uh, MLC for the Shooters and Fishers Party, Mr. Robert Borzak, uh, was on legal matters on 2UE with Tim Shaw. And uh, there were a lot of people that called in uh, on the role in Guns in Society. Um, Samantha Lee from the Coalition of Gun Control also called in, you know, which I think you know, might have been possibly set up, but I can't guarantee that. Um, a lot of people, it was excellent, the people that called in. I wish my phone had gone off properly with the notifications, otherwise I definitely uh, would have called in. But uh, thank you to the people that were listening, and thank you to uh, Robert for uh, giving out some great information and letting people know that we are law-abiding citizens, doing the right thing, and, and we love our sport. So extravaganza month is massive, so I hope you guys... You know, I'm going to enjoy the extravaganza month. I'm go- uh, the- these are going to be released at the exact same time back to back. The Tom Nap is about over an hour and a half, and um, we're probably going to get about two and a half hours of awesomeness uh, for extravaganza month of February 2012. So I uh, hope you really, really enjoy it. Uh, in saying that, don't forget, I've got to get on my soapbox. You know, I do every podcast, and just don't forget to jump on iTunes, guys. That gives you automatic downloads from the iTunes page. Uh, You can put it on your iPhone, your iPad, uh, your iPod Touch, all that good stuff. Uh, And then rate, subscribe, and comment. That gets us a lot more exposure. So if you could do that, that would be fantastic. Jump on the Facebook page also. We've got a lot of people commenting on Facebook, and we've got a great little community going there. Um, It's absolutely fantastic as well. And also, I love people to post photos up. Uh, I'm a bit of a photo uh, junkie, and I love seeing you guys out in the field, what you guys are doing, what what you're hunting, and it's always good to see photos, you know. It's always good to watch, you know, YouTube videos and watch people's photos during uh, the times that I'm not hunting, so definitely put them up. Uh, Twitter. AH podcast. Uh, you can follow our Twitter feeds. Um, that gives us, you know, uh, a bit more information out to people that follow Twitter as well. And also, if you want to send me an email, you had any ideas, 
you know, how to structure the uh, podcast, guests that you might want me to get on, either throw it up there on the Facebook page or email us at australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, also, too, I'll, th- I'll throw a shout out there to Mick Matherson as well from shootingnews.com.au. He uh, put an article about episode 14 with Max Farrelly, the Fox Whisperer, on uh, his website. Uh, and I often go on to shootingnews.com.au to check out you know, what's up and new in the industry. So if you haven't heard about Shooting News, you can jump on their website, which again was shootingnews.com.au. And uh, Mick certainly puts a, a lot of hard effort into getting that website up. So um, yeah, I guess thanks another person that's uh, getting out there within the sporting, shooting community, hunting community, uh, putting the word out there and getting the real word out on this great sport. So I guess in saying that, we should probably get into the first uh, show, episode 15 of Extravaganza Month of February. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's get into my interview with CZ exhibition shooter and hunter, Tom Knapp. Hey everybody, it's Tom Knapp for CZ USA. And if in case you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, it would be CZ USA. I'm here to tell you we've got a big show coming up here, so put on your radio, put on your headphones, get it going because we're coming on. All right, Tom Knapp, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for coming on. I really do appreciate your time and being able to come on the show tonight. Hey, Jason, this is exciting for me. I've been down your way, but not quite as far south. I was on uh, uh, north, uh, the North Island at Palmer, and I had a big time up there. I was hunting out of uh, Kanuka Wilderness with uh, Neil Mercer. Gee whiz, we had a good time. Well, and I, I didn't know there was a North Island to Australia, but <laughs> I, I don't know much about your geography down there, but when I was in New Zealand, I had the time of my life, and I, I do want to get down to Australia. So tell me, what's the easiest way for me to get down there to do a little hunting, a little fishing, and, well, maybe a little libation in the evening? <laughs> oh, it's just... Uh, I, I've been over to America a few times, Tom, and I mean, it, your hunting's just sensational over there compared to here. But, you know, we've got foxes, you know, deer, pigs, um, or the hogs, as you call them over there. We've got fairly good bird hunting down in Victoria, but due to some of our laws, especially here in uh, my state of New South Wales, which is in Sydney, Australia, our laws are quite strict in regards to bird hunting. So we actually don't have a uh, duck season that was banned back in 1995 um, and only a few states in the country still have duck hunting we've got quail hunting we hunt quail down here as well um, yeah we've got quite a lot of game but if you ever come down here you just you, you, I'll just give you my name and number you look me up and we'll have a good hunt hunt some foxes maybe some red fox whatever you want well I'll tell you I everybody knows me for my wing shooting okay my I, I do wheel a shotgun fairly well, but it's a—it's kind of a well-kept secret, only because uh, there's not so many places I can do it safely. But I do a rifle and pistol show, and whether it involves you know the cowboy action, single action revolvers, or the old uh, the old single shot rifles like the falling block, the rolling block, the sharps. Um, all of those different things intrigued me. And as a boy, I was so enthralled 
with not just guns, but we came from a hunting family. And so I was always out in the woods plinking at something, regardless of what gun, what gauge, what caliber. And uh, I just think it would be fantastic to come down to Australia and hunt uh, you know whatever is in season whatever is uh, the the normal um heritage of your country something that was there it, it, i mean you got to have natural animals and birds down there don't you they weren't all imported no absolutely i mean we got uh all different types of game i mean depends on what you want to hunt i guess that's what it comes down to i guess well i mean Fox hunting up here, and of course I live in Minnesota in the United States, and uh, we're just south of Canada, the, the Canadian border, and Minneapolis, Minnesota is only second to International Falls right up against the border for cold temperatures during the winter. And uh, we're having unseasonably warm weather right now, but uh, and typically, this time of the year, we're below zero on the Fahrenheit thermometer, you know? You guys go by Celsius, don't you? Absolutely. Celsius. We, uh, <laughs> not, not like the Americans, you go on the, on the uh, Fahrenheit, yeah. Well, do you know that 41 degrees below zero Fahrenheit is the same exact level as 41 degrees below Celsius. So I'm guessing that's pretty cold up this time of the year, I'm guessing? Well, I'm guessing that'll stick the hair in your nose together to where you can't breathe. <laughs> and if there's any if there's any humidity in the air, it just freezes right in front of your eyes, right up, you know, six feet off the ground. So do you guys uh, have I mean, the uh, gray fox up there? We have gray fox and, uh, oh, help me out on this. Uh, it's Jason, right? That's right. Okay, help me out on this, Jason. Uh, I just listened to a, a podcast of yours, and you had a predator crawler. I'm trying to remember his name, but he was talking about gray fox. Yeah, I think it was Pete Hower from the Fox Pro Field stuff. It was. It was, indeed. And I was mesmerized by that podcast. And, uh, I'm going to take his suggestions to the field because I've got two grand boys. They're 12 and 14 years old. We got 100 acres of property. That would be about 50 hectare, I think, to you. Uh, we got this uh, in the north region of Minnesota, and we got trail cameras. I'm running 12 trail cameras, and we got gray fox. Well, they come by two and three at a time. So we're going to go up there and call. And that podcast that you did with Pete was absolutely, you know, uh, educational to me. So I'm going to take that up north. Yeah, it's funny, actually, because predator hunting here in Australia, I mean, even a lot of the electronic callers over here, a lot of that stuff hasn't actually caught on yet. I mean, there's only a few people that I know and the word's gotten out on forums about actually using electronic callers. And it's, it's so interesting because some of the sounds that don't even exist in Australia, like um, from the uh, Fox Pro library who sells the game calls that I buy, um, there's nothing uh, in this country that is even sounds anything like that. They don't exist, yet the Red Fox here in Australia, we've only got the Red Fox, 
and the red fox just some of these sounds like nutty nut hatch titmouse tantrum the foxes just sometimes just come bolting in or northern flicker there's all these different sounds that don't exist in this country and the foxes just love it. I think it's more just the high frequency, the very busy, but even the bird sounds are very popular. You just wouldn't believe it. And finally, I reckon over the next two to three years, the predator hunting here, especially for foxes, because that's one of our only our main predators, will definitely just take will definitely just take off. Uh, it's not like it is in the states where you guys have got your own TV shows and you know, your predator hunting TV shows. It's not that big, and we don't sort of have the mark. Unfortunately, which which is a shame, we don't have the market and a lot of the TV shows that you, know, you guys have on TV because a lot of the the general public here are very skittish and are very no not everyone, but a lot of people don't really like firearms in Australia. So some, you know, except for obviously us firearms owners who love to go out and hunt and shoot, but Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it. Excuse me for interrupting, but you just said that a lot of people in Australia don't like firearms. Well, the, we'll put it this way. A lot of the anti-gun, which probably you have in America as well, a lot of the anti-gun people you know, spread lies and deceit in media outlets, a lot of politicians. Well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jason. This is a real good thing that you brought this up because I... I have come from a family which is based on an American heritage of not only hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, you know, nature is what you make it. And there were times when we lived on nature which required some sort of method to get that deer in the freezer or get him into the cellar. But then there's also a very big, big part of American heritage is protecting your own. And if the bad guy has a gun, then why in the hell can't a good guy have a gun? Uh, we could, I, I talk about this on my Facebook page a lot, Tom, and unfortunately in Australia we don't have... Uh, I mean, you are allowed to defend yourself in your own home, but if you were to use it, you know, if you were to go to your, because we have to have safe storage requirements here in Australia, which is basically a lockable safe. Your guns have to be in the safe at all times. Now, if someone comes into your home and you go and get your gun and you shoot them, let's just say you're going to be in quite a lot of trouble. We don't, we don't have the home defence. Um, a, a, as a genuine reason to buy a firearm. In Australia, you must have a genuine reason as to why you want a firearm. So target shooting, clay target, hunting, those are genuine reasons, unfortunately, which you know I'd love to see change sometime in the next, well, as soon as possible. But home defense is not a, gen you, can't, you can't just go out in Australia here and go to your gun shop and say, hey, you know, I want a gun for home defense. You've got to have a license. You've got to, uh, it's a lot of work, Tom, and a lot of, a lot of us do do the best we can to try and, you know, starve off all the people that, you know, want to take our guns off us, basically. Of, of course you do. But uh, let me give you a couple scenarios that maybe your listeners may be able to take this to their uh, politicians and to their uh, city and their counties and their, and their states and whatever it is you have down there. But... Uh, a scenario that uh, if somebody comes into my home in the dark of the night and I'm in bed, uh, chances are I'm not just going to reach over on the bed stand, grab a pistol, and start shooting. I mean, after all, it could be my wife going to the bathroom. All right? That's, that, that's not the equation. The equation is if somebody gets a jump on me, there probably won't be a gun involved except for the one that the bad guy is holding. 
And if I have an opportunity to grab a claw hammer or some sort of tool in the garage, and by the way, as a young boy, I learned how to throw knives, screwdrivers, hatchets, axes. I mean, shit. If you're if you're within if you're within uh, if you're within uh, uh, I'm going to say 25 feet of me, uh, you're in some pretty big trouble. I'm glad I never broke into Tom Knapp's house uh, if I was ever over in the states. <laughs> well. But the deal is, is that I don't have a gun strapped to me. I don't have one under my kitchen chair. But uh, if a bad guy comes into my place and he means to to do bad on my house, my home, my family, my, my pets, my livestock, whatever bad he plans, uh, this guy is going to have to have his crap together because I literally will have many means. And I do have a gun. I just got to go get it. Yeah, exactly. The funny thing here in Australia is that they did change the laws uh, about, I think, about 10 years ago. Um, you can defend yourself, but only if your life or a family member's life is in what they call immediate danger. So let's say the intruder runs out into the backyard and is jumping the fence and you knife him in the back while he's jumping the fence. Well, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. It's only, as they say, if your life is in immediate danger. But again, most people don't really have firearms in this country. There's only, you know, there is there is a large contingent of firearms owners, but in saying that, there's not as many as obviously would be in the United States, obviously. But, you know, if you actually got, if someone who did have a firearm actually went to the safe to get it out while someone was there, I don't know, you might be in a bit of trouble, Tom. It would depend on the situation, but, you know, it might not work out too good for the, the person, that, you know, the, even the homeowner that actually had the gun. So it's quite a shame. It really is a shame. Yeah, it is, and and uh, anyway, we can we can bounce off of that later. But I, I do, I I really am an advocate of uh, being able to stand up to oneself, and it doesn't always require a gun. But if a bad guy does have a gun, uh, we call that the equalizer. Then the good guy, uh, the good guy, isn't going to go rob banks. The bad guy is, and uh, so that's my stance on it. What uh, what kind of birds you got down in Australia? Oh, we hunt ducks, uh, mainly in Victoria, down in the state of Victoria. They hunt ducks. They've got uh, uh, quail. They're the main sort of two species that we're actually you know mainly allowed to hunt here. So um, there's not many species. I mean, there is, you know, if you go far west of Sydney, you can sort of hunt the feral pigeons uh, or feral doves, whatever you call them over there. Um, there's also galahs, We've got like a, which is like a, you know, which is actually a sort of a bird that's more of a pet here. People have them for pets, but you know, out in the west, they're just totally out of control. So you don't need a permit; you can just shoot them. But you can't really decoy them or anything like that. Not that anyone's ever really tried. So um, we've got crows or the raven family, but in most places they're protected unless you go far out west. But mainly ducks, uh, Tom. Mainly ducks, quail. Quail is an upland bird, and uh, do you got any 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 other upland birds like pheasant or? There is uh, there is there is pheasant. There is pheasant. You can go you get pheasant down in South Australia, which is the state on the bottom of Australia. Um, and there's a few game reserves down there, but only certain states are allowed to have game reserves. So uh, you know for legal reasons. But uh, again, some of our politicians are trying to change that and. Uh, allow the state of New South Wales, which uh, where I live in Sydney, Australia, basically to have game reserves and to use, you know, sustainable means to, you know, have 
you know, people can't maybe not have access to hunting land that want to go out, they want to hunt, but, you know, maybe they haven't got any land, they can go pay their money, spend a day and hunt some, uh, you know, some game like ducks or, or pheasants or, you know, whatever, quail, whatever it may be, whatever the game farmers are, you know, breeding on that land. Well, I'll tell you what, if you get on my website of tomnap.net, I'm not a .com, and if you get on there and look at my What's New page and look at my Argentine, we call it the Tom Knapp Show and Tell. It is the funnest thing you'll ever do. Now, how far of a flight from Australia to central Argentina? Yeah, it's probably a long way. I'd probably say 15 hours. I think it's a long way, but still... Well, we got we take an overnight flight from the, I'm in the northern center of uh, America in Minnesota and I got to fly down to Atlanta and then from Atlanta to Santiago, Chile. And then we hop over the mountains from Chile over to Cordoba, Argentina. 10 hours across the flight. So I mean, we we travel down near 20 hours by the time you go through the connections and everything. Let me tell you how much fun you can have down there. Have you ever shot a shotgun until you puked? <laughs> no, no. I've done some dove hunting down in Waco, Texas uh, back in 2009, but I think we only shot about, uh, in two days of dove hunting, it was with a friend, I think I only shot about maybe, you know, 15, 20 doves in a day. I think that was about it. No, 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 Jason, this is this is a little bit different. For the TV camera, and I think you can get a I think you can get a look at it on YouTube if you just type in my name, Tom. Yeah, Knapp. I checked it that's out last K- night. That's K N A P P and then and then just put the word Argentina behind it and you will find I don't know, a three minute clip in there. But for the camera it's the one where the dove hits me in the back of the neck. Yep, saw that one last night. The t- minus 25 points for you. <laughs> minus 25 points for me. But let me tell you what happened during that filming. I filmed for one hour and 45 minutes. I killed 1,506 doves. I fired, two- I fired 2,020 cartridges. And, of course, I got a few uh, negative emails from the bleeding hearts. And But the, the fact is, and I'm going to give this to you in black and white, man, there's no doubt about it. The, the region of Cordoba contains, and this was back in 2009, that region contains, at that time, 50 million doves. They nest four times a year. They have two eggs per nest. Even if they had a 50% mortality rate, this thing becomes a chain letter that's out of control. And the farmer that is down there growing the milo, the the wheat, the grain, the corn, uh, the soybeans, they documented in front of the legislature that they're losing 30% off the top. The farmers then said, we're going to cut the forest down and remove the roost 
and the birds will have to go elsewhere. And the government said, no, 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 you can't cut the forest down. Then they poisoned them. <clears throat> well, then that's non-selective, so they started killing other birds. And then uh, that was outlawed. And then when the hunting partners and the hunting concessions like SYC Sporting Adventures, the guys that I'm with, they went down there and made a deal with the farmer. They leased the ground for for hunting. The farmer says, shoot as many as you can because they're killing us. So they're taking 30% of our crop. And then the hunters from America, Australia, Italy, New Zealand, they're coming in, and they're coming in by the score. For a $5,000 bill, you can make the entire trip and come home with money left in your pocket, and you can do it once a year, save your money. And, uh, and if you do the Tom Knapp show and tell, anybody that, well, anybody of my fans, anybody that thinks I'm cool, uh, they can come they can come down there and do it with me because I'm down there for two weeks in the middle of February every year. And uh, there's group one that has 12 hunters, and then there's group two that has 12 hunters, and I, I host the whole thing. And then in the middle of each of those groups, I will put on a live bird demonstration, and I'll be shooting my CZ or CZ uh, guns, I've got semi-automatics, and uh, I don't need an extension magazine. Hell, I can keep the gun loaded. At the rate of shooting 2,000 rounds in less than two hours, my gun, the last time, only went empty three times. Wow, that's amazing. So you reckon you fly? Because I've been thinking about going down there for a you know, probably a year, and I, I, I mean, if I'm going to make the trip, as most people say, I just want to shoot and shoot and shoot as much as I can. Well, and my my obligation when I'm there, let's say you come into one of my uh, Tom Knapp show-and-tells. Okay, I'm going to greet you at the lodge. They're going to come and pick you up at the airport. they bring you to the lodge. I greet you when you get in. If you're tired and want to go and take a nap, that's up to you. But that afternoon, on arrival, <clears throat> we'll go out in the field. Then, okay, there's 12 other, or well, there's a total of 12 shooters. While they set you up with your own personal field assistant and they carry water for you, they, they carry the shells, they'll load your guns for you if you want them to. I like to load my own gun. Well, then I will visit each shooter in their blind as they are shooting doves and we'll chat and then I'll stand up next to you and I'll shoot birds with you. And then I'll sit back and watch you. And then a lot of times, uh, to my surprise, the, the shooter will say, come on, I want to see you shoot these darn things. Then the most important, though, is where you got some guys that are shooting good and they don't need any help and we just have fun. But then you got these guys that says, I can shoot the left going to the right. I can shoot the right going to the left. I can even shoot the ones coming at me. But that damn bird that comes from behind me is eating my lunch. How do you hit those? Well, then I will work with you and give you my take on how you should approach that target. And once you start hitting them, then I go to the next guy. And needless to say, when I come back, the guy that has trouble hitting the ones coming from behind him, and I told him how to do it, and he gets successful, here is a pile of doves laying all in one spot because he'd just been waiting for that one angle all the time because he just learned a new trick. 
Yeah, it's just, it's, I watch the videos there all the time and I think, oh, I'd love to do that. I just love to, I, and some people don't like high volume shooting, but I think I'd love it. I mean, I don't want a million coming in at a time, but, you know, if you've got like a group of five or six and you take a few of them down and then two more come in, then three more, and then I just love to do that. I just, oh, I just. Well, here, here's the scenario, Jason. Uh, let's just say like this one guy that had trouble shooting them that were coming from behind him. This is during one of the four nesting seasons, and so the birds are flying all day long. And each shooting session runs between three and four hours. And they do come in pods or in flocks of, you know, fives and sixes, and they come sometimes in thirties and forties. But you are able to pick the angle and the exact bird that you want to shoot. And uh, this, this goes on for the entire time you're out there. Now, the the total cost <clears throat> excuse me the total cost of the trip i think is 20 2895 uh us dollars you you get a thousand shells to start with but if you shoot more than a thousand the shells come in 20 box cases and they're 12 bucks a box so that's 240 us dollars per case most of the shooters regardless if they're from europe or australia most of them are plenty happy shooting 500 rounds per session. And I shoot 500 and then just, you know, I just sit down. I mean, I go and visit my people and everything. But uh, 500 to me is just an ample amount that gives you a full swing practice session, gives you satisfaction, all that. Some of the guys stop at 200 rounds. That That's enough for them. And so you can do what you want, but you're... Your thousand shells are provided in the package, so that gives you two cases to start with, and there are a total of six shoots. And if you shot 500 rounds per shoot, you would end up owing a thousand dollars extra for shells. So I put that on top of your 28.95 and your airplane, and you got her done. Exactly. So about so you're looking some for most people about what five thousand dollars. It's about five grand U.S., and but you'll still bring money home. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much. If, if let's say someone, even like myself, I'm actually talking about myself here. If they couldn't get there, say this year, because obviously I, I'd love to meet you in person. Do you do it every single year? I do, I do. And this year, though, just for your information, group number two, uh, I think it has six spots left. And one of the best and most favorite things of all is uh, I took my brother down there for his birthday, and I'm taking him down there again this year. I didn't think he's going to like it because he's meeting people from all over the world down there. They come in from Italy, France, uh, uh, Norway, Sweden, Australia, New Zealand. And I thought that the language barrier from the European continent would be a problem for my brother. And uh, he's 10 years senior to me, and I'm getting to be an old son of a gun already. He asked the bird boy, uh, the uh, Argentina kid, you know, they speak Spanish. He asked him to go get him a bottle of water, and the kid says, agua? And he goes, no, water, water. <laughs> <laughs> agua means water anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, I got a big laugh out of that. But <laughs> so you so you think honestly you wouldn't you wouldn't go home an unhappy person if you went and did this uh, Argentinian dove trip, huh? Oh no, and and the people that you meet from around the world, they become your friend instantly because you're all in the same clique, you know. And and I mean, if there is one bad egg in the outfit, I mean, I've seen a couple of, you know, them guys that like to fluff their feathers, you know, and uh, they like to be better than anybody else. And that's their problem, because pretty soon they're sitting at the swimming pool by themselves. It only happened once the whole time I've been doing this. So. Uh, no, you you got nothing but friends to make. You can you can uh, get comfortable and and get people to try and teach you their uh, either either their language or their accent. You know. What's the uh, what do they use there for gauges, Tom? Like twelve gauge, twenty gauge? I shoot all twelves when I'm down there, but they have twenty gauge shells and they have guns there too. You don't even have to bring a gun. They've got everything from Beretta, Benelli. Uh, Fiocchi, they got CZs. I think they got. Uh, I think they just got a shipment of like uh, well, I don't know, half a dozen different CZ. They got over and unders. They got side by sides. They got semi-automatics. They got everything. So you don't even have to bring your gun. But if you do bring your gun, they pay the import fee, uh, 190 bucks per gun. But they pay that all. They pay your license. You don't even have to put tips out for the kids because uh, the field assistance and everything, that's all built into that 2895. But what usually happens is you fall in love with your field assistant and uh, you make such good friends with them and they treat you so good, you can't help but give them a $100 bill when you leave. Absolutely, absolutely. Sounds like a lot of fun. So you only do it once a year? Once a year, and it's uh, mid-February, the first group is full. That goes from 11 of February to uh, 11, 12, 13, 14. And then the second group starts on 16 and goes 16, 17, 18, 19. And there, I think, is six spots open, maybe seven, seven spots open on group two. Uh, I guarantee you, if they go home without being happy, I'll give them their money back. Absolutely. How many how many days is that for? That's uh, it's uh, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. So it's four days and six shoots. You get one shoot when you get there, and then it's two shoots a day for the second and third day, and then one shoot in the morning on the last day, and then they take you to the airport. Man, that sounds great. That sounds so good. I might even have to, but after we finish this podcast, I might even have to, because I've got about five weeks in uh, annual leave from my uh, employment owing to me. So, hey, I might, you never know, I might have to give it a try myself, maybe even. Hey, you come down there, Jason, and I don't care if you bring a buddy with you, but it would be fun for you if you did. There's plenty of room, and uh, I'll make sure that uh, we can do another recording while we're down there. Oh, absolutely. I think that'd be fun. So now I've I've really, uh, you know, blasted your podcast here. You got questions for me? Absolutely. Absolutely, I do. I've I've filled a few questions from a few listeners. So I guess the main one, obviously, you said you got into hunting and shooting uh, as a family tradition. But, I mean, how long before you got into the exhibition stuff? And what made you want to get into it? Were you starting off as a a sporting clays or a skeet shooter? Or how how did that come about? 
No, I was nine years old in 1959 in a little town of Maple Plain, Minnesota. And we had one of the few TV sets uh, in that little town. I think there were 400 people in that town. And 1959, we had this TV set, and they broadcasted a film. They had a broadcast uh, of a film that was uh, captured by the company of Winchester Western, which is the name of the company of that era. Winchester Western had an exhibition shooter by the name of Herb Parsons. And you can go onto the uh, Internet and you can just punch in uh, Herb Parsons, and, you know, Herb Parsons shoot, Herb Parsons exhibition, whatever. And you will come up with some amazing stories. Well, this guy, I watched him when I was nine years old on an old Motorola television. And then when I was 10 years old, I watched the same film on the same television stuck in my mind. It was the only film that that man made in a 38 year career with Winchester Western. And uh, it was a phenomenal uh, movie called The Showman Shooter. And in my opinion, after seeing and reading and investigating everything about exhibition shooting as I grew up, and there were people long before Herb Parsons, there was long before Annie Oakley and Buffalo Bill, there were Colonel, or no, Captain Bogardus and uh, they were exhibition shooters, but in the terms of competition. So anyway, Buffalo Bill got away from competition, and he needed entertainment, and he then saw the value of selling sponsorships. And so when Annie Oakley and her husband Frank Butler got involved with his Wild West show, they put on a show that would draw a lot of people. Before that... Captain Bogardus and uh, this other doctor guy that were always butting heads to see who was the better shooter. I mean, they'd start out with an audience of 400 people, and then they shot for 10 days. And by the t in bad weather, by the time they were done to find out who was the best, who was the best shooter, they lost their audience. I mean, hell, they they finished up in front of two or three spectators. Well, Buffalo Bill. Uh, Bill Cody, he uh, changed all of that, and he drew people from the east, and he filled the grandstand, and he got a gate fee, and he was making money, and then he was charging DuPont and Winchester, and all of those powder and uh, and bullet companies and gun companies to put their banners up in front of all those eyes, and he made a business out of it. And when I first saw Herb Parsons, after all, Buffalo Bill Annie Oakley was all done, and I saw Herb Parsons. I was trying to make a living by shooting competition American Trap. And I was winning my money, but I was winning only enough money to feed into the next uh, competition, so I wasn't getting anywhere. And then I finally realized that exhibition shooting was simply a marketing tool and an advertising tool and that I could get paid an actual wage for being consistent. And if you're going to if you're going to get paid from competition, you got to be consistent in winning every time. 
but being an exhibition shooter, all you got to do is become everybody's friend. <laughs> true that, true. And then once they're your friend, you amaze those friends. And then when you amaze them, you amaze them so much that they want to come back and see it again because you did everything so fast that they can't remember what the hell you did in the first place. <laughs> so how many how many hours are you putting in? Are you still putting in the hours each week in the shells or not as much these days? Or Well, I rode a fast horse for Benelli for 18 years, 1993, until late in 2009. And the way my contract was set up, and it, it was a marvelous, marvelous story, and we were good for each other, and I have no hard feelings, and they they shouldn't have any hard feelings. As it turned out, late in 2009, I didn't know how hard I was working. I, for 18 years, had been running an airplane for 150 to 180,000 miles a year. I was gone away from home anywhere from 43 to 46 weekends per year. My grandkids grew up without me. Hell, my dog got old on me when I thought she still could hunt. It was a passion that turned into an obsession. And I loved my love, my live shows so much that I would go out there and be ready for each one. Whether I had a, yeah, you know, I could be sicker than a dog and I'd still go out and do those shows. And on those situations, I'd have to excuse myself after the show. But typically, I would be there early, greeting and meeting, and I'd be there late, shaking hands and signing autographs, and I loved it. I loved every bit of it. So what's your, what's your preferred shotgun these days for your exhibition shooting? Well, okay, uh, <clears throat> I was just getting to the point where in late 2009, I got ill. And, of course, Benelli was my bread and butter, uh, but I, I really was riding a fast horse. I, when I got ill, it went down real bad, real fast, and I was diagnosed with a very uh, severe case of pulmonary fibrosis. And the doctor told me I needed a double lung transplant. And this, of course, literally told me that my career had come to an abrupt end. And there were other medical uh, issues, I mean, uh, that fell into play and everything come down all at once. And uh, anyway, I sent out a letter to all my sponsors and I told them that I was still able to do voiceovers and television and stand-ups and I could write and I could do photo shoots and video shoots, but I couldn't do live shows anymore. And all of the sponsors that I had, Federal Cartridge, uh, Champion Traps and Targets, Carlson Choke Tubes, they said, hell, we, we got you on our packaging. We got you uh, on our catalog. I mean, you're still here. Well, Benelli, which is the only thing they could do was look at a corporate contract, which was 39 pages long, and I can't remember how many paragraphs. It was ridiculous. But they literally went by the book and said, well, if you can't perform, then we have to cancel this uh, contract. And I said, well, you know, I can do other stuff, so let's find a, a solution. And they said, well, and they certainly said and, and uh, committed that they would indeed find another solution. That paper contract was terminated 
But in the time it took him to figure out a solution, I had come to grips with myself thinking that now, because the contract was gone, there's other things I could do. And this had nothing to do with Benelli's decision. They acted as a corporate, you know, here's what it says and here's what we have to do. And that's, that's all understandable. But in the time it took to find a solution to get back with Benelli, I, I thought it was best for me to go freelance and to, you know, get away from that corporate stuff. And in doing so, I caught the attention of CZ or CZ USA, the importer that brings all of the CZ or CZ guns into uh, Kansas City, Missouri. I then uh, made a deal with them to where I was the owner of my schedule. So I could then create a schedule that was optimum for them and and uh, reasonable for me. And I gave them a, you know, a, a price quote, and I said, here's what you get, and here's what I want to do, and if you want to do more than that, then you're going to have to pay through the nose because I don't want to do more than that. And uh, so that's what set it up, and I took those CZ. Uh, my show is built on semi-automatic guns, and so I'm shooting the CZ-712. I'm shooting the CZ-912. The 912 is a little fancier, and it has a little bit different mechanical makeup. The CZ-712 has the gas operation in the front of the gun, very similar to a Remington. The 912 has a gas operation which brings the recoil and ejection mechanism to the rear of the gun. And both operate flawlessly. Uh, they have a, um, a factory specification that the triggers have to be a certain poundage for liability. Well, when I get them, that ain't good for me. And so I have the triggers modified. Now, that's the only thing on the gun that I have modified. The rest of it is out of the box, and boy, we're getting along just fine. <laughs> now, I've watched some of the videos. I think it's uh, fantastic. So you're always using 12-gauge? That's your, you don't use anything else? On, the, on the, my live shows, it's all 12-gauge simply because I have my ammunition sent ahead of me, and I only have to, to keep track of one gauge and... You know, if I need two cases of ammo sent ahead of me, you know, my uh, federal cartridge company, they drop ship that ammo to my show location. It's all ready to go. When I go down to Argentina, uh, I have I have uh, access to 12 and 20 and 28 gauge. Now, you pay a little bit more for the 28 gauge shells, but I've got a CZ or CZ little side-by-side uh, -side, and it's the most beautiful thing called the uh, uh, ring neck and the ring neck has a Prince of Wales pistol grip a 28 gauge it is the most phenomenal little side-by-side -side you ever did shoot sounds like a good unit yeah buddy <laughs> I was going to ask you a question like even when you're with Benelli or even CZ now just the amount of uh, volume shooting you're doing for your shows and other events 
did you go? Do you naturally go through a lot of shotguns once they've done so many rounds? Do you just retire them or give them away or give them back or? I think on the on the video you watched on YouTube of the last or most recent one of me down in Argentina, and I had uh, Dave Miller from CZ USA. He was down there with me, and he's their project manager. I fired a 712 CZ semi-automatic, and I fired that gun in three days. I put 7,000 rounds through that gun. And when I brought it back to the U.S., I uh, took it to my gunsmith. He cleaned it. Uh, I told him to look at, you know, take a special look at the trigger because there there was something going on in the trigger. But he said there was just a bunch of junk, you know, residue and stuff in there. That gun fired 7,000 rounds in three days. I ran it the rest of the year. I mean, that, that the entire my entire show schedule. That gun is the brunt of my live show, which you know I shoot two to three hundred shots per show, and I did forty five shows, um, and that gun consumed eighty percent of that ammunition, and so that gun only costs it costs less than five hundred U.S. dollars retail. Wow. Yeah, shotguns are a lot more expensive over here. Uh, uh, it depends on what you buy, I guess, but uh, it's always a bit more expensive in Australia, but that's a good price. Well, and then uh, in, in Europe, they're more expensive too, but if you, took, if you took an American retail price of 500 US dollars, uh, that same gun down there, being it's a semi-auto, if you could buy it, it would be probably 700 bucks. And over in, over in Europe, the same way. Yeah, it's it's funny the different. You guys have got you know firearms that are so cheap, it's unbelievable. But uh, I guess uh, a question I had for you too was what when you're doing your exhibition, or even down in Argentina, I wouldn't mind knowing that question as well. What size shot are they using for doves down in Argentina, and also what size shot do you use uh, when you're doing your exhibition? Just what regular trap loads, seven and a halfs, eights, nines. Yeah, I prefer number nines here in America because that's a skeet load, and it doesn't have anything to do with the width of the pattern. It has only to do with the amount of pellets within the striking zone. So, as an example, if you uh, on my show, if I'm shooting an improved cylinder choke, the width of the pattern is the same width as would be a seven and a half shot or a number nine shot. But the number of pellets within that width is more with the number nine shot because they're smaller. Okay. So you, I, I thought you might have used cylinder, not improved cylinder. So you use improved cylinder, do you? Improved cylinder. And on occasion, like the routines that I do where I shoot from behind my back and upside down, uh, from the hip or over my head. I mean, all of that fancy shooting, I use a, a cylinder bore. What I'm getting to say is that number nine shot has so many more pellets within the same width of pattern that when I hit a target, it, it, there's no chipping or hacking. It's nothing but a puff. And it's a visual display. So the more you can crunch the target, or it, it's a, a wow factor. 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And what do you, I mean, obviously, I mean, you're still a young whippersnapper, still a young bloke, but does it get <laughs> does it get harder as you get a bit older to continue after, you, obviously, with your health issues? Is it, is it becoming harder to keep on doing it? Well, uh, first, I'm going to touch on the health issues. Uh, what happened is after I decided to go uh, freelance, my health issues started to improve. And then I found out that the doctor was scratching his head and says, you do not have pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, pulmonary fibrosis is the most misdiagnosed disease because of the lack of knowledge on the books. And, um, and so what it turned out to be is that I have a little bit of emphysema and I had an immune system malfunction. And my immune system attacked my lungs as a, you know, a, a, a source of uh, negativity, and this is what caused the problem. And it gave a misdiagnosis. And once this all went away, it went away probably because the stress went away <clears throat> from traveling 45 weekends a year. And then I got better, and now I'm 61. Oh, I might look like I'm 71. I've been road hard and put away wet. <laughs> but, uh, however, I am out there enjoying my live shows, and the only thing that gets harder is because I have scheduled myself. I downsize my schedule. When I was shooting every weekend practically out of the entire year, I was well-practiced because every weekend was another practice session. Well, if I sit on my butt all winter long, it's kind of like riding a horse. If you ride a horse every day, you'll never have a sore ass. Exactly, that's true. But if you park the horse in the barn for one week, you'll have a sore ass for a month. <laughs> that's true. You know. And so... Uh, because of the because of the lack of uh, you know the downsizing my show schedule, uh, I'm doing 45 uh, maybe 50 shows a year where I used to be doing 110 or 115 shows a year. And so what's hard is getting those throwing muscles. Anybody can shoot them, but you got to throw these targets where you can hit them. I've noticed that. It looks pretty hard. It looks pretty hard to throw them out so they separate enough to be able to hit them. Yeah, well, if I throw them for you, you can shoot just about anything I throw. Oh, you bet I can. You bet I can. <laughs> yeah, but if you throw them for yourself, it'll be a whole different story. So I had actually one of my listeners here said, uh, this is quite an interesting, funny one. He said he saw you, I, I'm not sure if it's on the History Channel over here, uh, on the extreme uh, marksman, and he said you shot a twenty-two long rifle through a washer. He he wanted to know, did you get that on the first filming take, or was it quite hard and it took several takes to get it? That and boy, that is a popular question because every time I do a live show, somebody comes out of the audience and asks me that. Uh, that was filmed in Southern California, and the the slow motion. Uh, film uh, camera equipment was set up. It was taking 30,000 frames per second. And it was not a 22 long rifle. It was a 22 Magnum. Ah, okay. And it was a 40 caliber, I mean, I'm sorry, a 40 grain 22 caliber bullet. 
and that bullet was traveling at roughly 1,900 to 2,000 feet per second. The washer was airborne. I threw it in the air. I shot the bullet through the washer. The camera captured the image of the bullet going through the washer. I made a statement that back in the movie of uh, 1863 with Jimmy Stewart, and, uh, and he shot a bullet through the washer, and to prove it, they put a postage stamp over the washer. And he, sh and he shot through the postage stamp. I said, well, today, postage is too damn expensive. <laughs> <laughs> but I said, we got a, a $180,000 camera here that's going to let you watch that bullet go right through the hole. Well, the washer was probably 15 to 18 feet above me. I launched the washer. I shot. I went through the hole, but it hit the inside of the hole, and, and you heard a ricochet, and, and, and that was not what we wanted. Then I threw consecutively, I threw six more. Each time I threw, the bullet went through the washer, but there, the picture frame is a foot, 12 inches cube. And the washer was, they wanted it in the center of that picture frame. Maybe, maybe the first of those six was too far high, too far low, too far uh, across, too too close. And two of the six, each time I shot the bullet through the hole, each time you could see the bullet go through the hole. Two of the of the subsequent six shots not only went through the hole, but they were in the center of the frame. But the one that they showed it not only went through the hole and it was centered in the frame, but the bullet went through the center of the hole. So it takes quite takes some skill to do that, that's for sure. Well, I mean, it was seven tries and all seven went through. It's just that, that we got two good uh, videos and, and the one was extra special. <laughs> seven? I probably couldn't even do it once. <laughs> yeah, well, the bullet's got to go somewhere. That's right. So I was going to, another question is I have someone want to ask me a question. How many shotguns do you currently have, even for your exhibition shooting or just general hunting? Have you got only a few that you use or you've got like a, a, a large collection of shotguns? Well, when it comes to rifles, pistols, and shotguns, whether they're single bore, double barrel, side by side, over and under, revolvers, semi-automatics, whatever. If you know how many guns you have, you don't have enough. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I know how many I've got, so it's definitely not enough. <laughs> uh, definitely. Uh, not I enough. have a pretty good. I have a pretty good collection. Yeah, so, I mean, what would you say is your most rewarding accomplishment, say, I mean, you know, that you've accomplished, say, throughout your life, obviously your lifetime, but mainly, obviously, within the shooting industry? I can answer that very accurately, because at one time, 1993, I uh, have a certificate from the European Guinness Book of World Records where I hand-tossed nine clay targets never been before recorded and so therefore I didn't break anybody's record I created a record launching nine clay targets 
by myself and hitting each with a separate shot before they hit the ground. Regardless of what the reading you find out there, that shot went down in 1.4 seconds. And then I started thinking about, you know, what is the high point of my career? And in the year of 2000, I paid tribute to the late, great Herb Parsons that we mentioned before. By the way, you go on the Internet and look up theshowmanshooter.com or look up Herb Parsons, Herb Parsons' uh, Showman Shooter film. Well, I paid tribute to him in the year 2000, and he used to consistently shoot seven hand-thrown clay targets with his Model 12 pump Winchester repeater. And so I went out with my Benelli Nova, and uh, which is a pump repeater, and I had an extension magazine on there, and I, I could stuff eight shells in there. And I then, uh, I didn't break, Herb Herb Parsons didn't have a world record. That was a routine that he did in his advertising, stating that the Model 12 Winchester was the only gun in the world that could do that shot because 870 Remingtons and any other pump didn't hold seven shells. I flung eight targets up, and I got it on film, and it was a miraculous eight targets with a pump shotgun tipping my hat to Herb Parsons. Yeah, I think I saw that on one of your videos, I think, wasn't it last night? I was on YouTube and I saw the uh, the top shot, Benelli top shot, I think it was. Was it, was it on that one? I think I saw you you had the pump shotgun there. You're going to you're going to find uh, the the eight clays with me and my Nova. I think it's on uh, Shooting USA. It's on YouTube, but just go to Tom just just type in on a search go Tom Knapp pump record. And you'll come up with that. It was shot in San Antonio, Texas. And uh, it was a brutal day, 105 degree temperatures, wind was 25 miles an hour, and you can see the smoke from the clay pigeons just take off in the wind. And I definitely knocked out all eight of them with that pump shotgun. And then, in the year of 2004, I broke my own nine clay record by throwing ten, and I did it in front of a bunch of American Boy Scouts, and uh, it was truly rewarding. But to answer your question about what was the high point and the pinnacle or or the the most thought about of my career, and it has not a damn thing to do with world records. It doesn't have a damn thing to do with accomplishments as far as how many targets can I shoot in how much time. It doesn't have a damn thing to do with hand and eye coordination. What it has to do is a person in his midlife in 1993, I was 43 years old, and I kept dreaming about being an exhibition shooter. And it was the actual uh, creation of capturing a dream and making a living with a hobby, which was a passion that had to turn into an obsession for all of this to happen. And that, to me, 
is the most high point and pinnacle, uh, uh, and and the most uh, the most cherished part of being able to go 20 years on a fast horse and being friends with most everybody. I'm loved by many, and I'm hated by a few. <laughs> uh, you don't want to worry about those ones anyway. No, no, I don't. And I don't spend much time at it because they're usually hating me for something that they weren't able to do themselves. So what do you what do you like? I mean, obviously, I know you love hunting as well. You, is your first passion wing shooting, or do you like deer hunting or coyote hunting, or what's your what's your all time favorite? My all time favorite started with a Daisy BB gun, a number twenty five. It's a spring molded magazine that held forty one BBs, and I got that when I was nine years old, and I went out and and learned how to shoot that BB gun, which is throwing a single projectile. So. Uh, learning that way, uh, most kids get a shotgun when they're about 11 years old, and, and I got a 22 because I had proved to my parents that I was safe and responsible. And uh, I had a little Stevens crack shot 22, and I'm telling you what, the only thing is I got the biggest ass, whoop- ass whooping of my life is when I came out of the woods. And I had a whole box of 22 long rifle hollow points. And I cut across the garden to get home. And there was a, my mom had a whole batch of cucumbers out there that she was, she was fixing to make a bunch of uh, dill pickles. And they were just the right size. And I seen a cucumber sticking out of the vine and I, I plinked it with that 22 crack shot. And boy, it blew <laughs> up like a grenade. <laughs> I never seen anything blow up like that in my life, and I said I thought that was so darn neat. I did it again, and then I did it again. I shot all fifty of my, <laughs> I shot all my mom's cucumbers, and I thought my old man was a bad guy, but boy, my mom, she just put the wrath of God on me. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, so interesting stuff. So. Um, as I said, was before the question, what? So you you like deer hunting? You prefer wing shooting? What's oh, your... oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, that's right. you, you, no you gave me a good story. That was a fantastic story. Don't worry. Yeah, no, my I, I love throwing single projectiles and stuff, and so deer hunting is a big part of our life. And we have whitetail deer up here, and uh, we got a hundred acres up north, and we're uh, we're putting that together with food plots and things, you know, to keep the deer there for us. And we don't have high fences, and we don't we can't contain our animals, so we gotta we gotta do natural things to keep the deer in there. So deer hunting is our big passion. I got I got two grand boys that are twelve and ten. I'm sorry, twelve and fourteen. And uh, they both got their deer this year and last year. And uh, my daughter-in-law got uh, got her deer. We uh, were we're set on deer uh, venison in the freezer. Then, when I hunt birds, uh, that probably is my biggest passion is hunting birds. But I can't do it without a dog. And when they when they tell us that we can't hunt turkey up here, we got wild turkeys, but we can't hunt them with a dog. And I said, well, then the hell with you. I ain't hunting turkeys. 
and uh, but I get my share of waterfowl hunting and pheasant, and I don't hunt on pheasant farms. We we go out to South Dakota and hunt wild pheasants, and whether it's on public land or private land, we got people that we know. And uh, these wild pheasants now, these these guys ain't no pen-raised birds. I mean, they'll get up in that South Dakota wind, and they'll be gone before you can raise your gun. And uh, and then up in north, the north woods of Minnesota, and, of course, this is the same in north Wisconsin and Michigan, we got the ruffed grouse. I don't know if you know what that is. Is that, is that, an, upla- is that an upland game bird? Yep, it's an upland game bird, and it's about the size of a hen pheasant. And they'll, but they got a peculiar uh, look to them, and they live in the north woods, and they eat a lot of berries and leaves and grasses, and uh, they live in the heavy timber. And they drum; they beat their wings on their side when they're mating, and the, the males will drum, and it will sound like an old John Deere tractor trying to start. That is an incredible bird to hunt and because you have to hunt it in very heavy vegetation very uh, heavy brush and timber and it you know if you flush 10 you're you're doing darn good if you can kill three of them yeah no i heard that's some good hunting over there and that's obviously what you obviously you're using shotguns again mm-hmm yep so i was gonna, I was gonna ask another question another uh Listener, what I mean to ask for another question. What's your? Is, have you had any favorite shotguns you've had for like a long time, like years? Well, I've got a couple old side by sides. I got an Irish side by side that was the first uh, fluid steel nickel barrels, and it dates itself back to eighteen ninety something, and it's got the rabbit ear hammers on the back of it. And it's a, it was an old Irish National Guardsman. So it's fairly short. I think it's got 24-inch barrels on it. And uh, that's what I like to hunt grouse with in the woods. It's a fast-handling little thing. And if you're used to a hammer gun, you know, I can cock both hammers with one thumb. So uh, that, that's a favorite of mine. And uh, when, it, when I hunt, it's nostalgic. And I like the old, like the Winchester high wall and the Winchester low wall, the, the falling blocks, and the Remington rolling block, the single shot rifles. And uh, I'm just starting to look at the CZ has some break action rifles. And they have side-by-sides and over and unders. And I'm starting to look at them. Those are catching my eye. What does I mean? Obviously, you do a lot of hunting, a lot of shooting, a lot of the exhibition, you know. So, what what does Tom Knapp do just to relax? I mean, do you still find it you know relaxing to hunt and shoot, or is it more like a job these days? Or what, what do you do to relax? Say, I mean, maybe other than shooting, or you just you, you still just love it as much as you did when you were a kid? Well, since I since I took control of my schedule, I have now. Uh, half the year to myself and we bought that hundred acres up there and we've groomed it we have five miles of trails that go within the hundred acres of forest it's like a park and this spring I'll be disking up the trails and planting clover for the birds and then I we've got eight acres uh, split into two pieces in the woods where we'll put food plots in for the deer and so I'll spend my days, uh, 
you know, preparing that land, but then I will go out and enjoy the fruit of being able to walk those clover trails and flushing grouse a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit to my advantage. The other time of the year, like this is winter time for us up here, and uh, we've, well, we've, I'm talking Fahrenheit now, but we were in the single digits this morning, which is pretty chilly. We uh, we are in the deep freeze and our lakes freeze over and right now up where our land is in northern Minnesota, the lakes up there have uh, 15 to 16 inches of uh, solid clear ice and uh, we had a good weather coming into it so it froze real smooth. I mean, hell, you can go out there and ice skate now. But uh, we drive our trucks right out onto that, and we have what we call a wheelhouse. And it's a like a camper. It's 8 foot wide and 16 foot long. And inside, there are seven holes through the floor. They're 12 inches in diameter along the outside perimeter. And uh, we drive that out on the lake, and uh, we drill... And then the axles are retractable, so we can use a winch, and we lower the house down on top of those holes. And we take the available snow and bank it up. We turn on the heater, and it's just like a camper sitting out on a frozen lake, and we sit there and fish. We have walleye pike, northern pike. We have yellow perch. We have bluegills. We have crappie. Uh, and, a, and a variety of other species of fish that we can uh, fish for. Now, Sam, I reckon that'd be a lot of fun. Oh, geez! And if the fish aren't biting, it goes from ice fishing to ice drinking real quick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was gonna, I was gonna ask you just two more questions, I guess, before we finish off. Uh, have you? Uh, I know you had your show there, Bird Hunting America. How did that come about? Well, Bird Hunting America was a short-lived deal. Uh, I spent, uh, I think I spent 14 years. Uh, the first seven years I was a guest, and the second seven years I was the host of Benelli's American Bird Hunter. And uh, the Benelli's American Bird Hunter show was very popular. And uh, when I parted company with Benelli, that show went away. Well, then uh, Bird Hunting America, that came out uh, shortly thereafter, and we only ran it for one quarter on the TV uh, sector. And uh, it was with a producer that uh, it it just didn't, it wasn't going to work with that producer. And so they were good shows, don't get me wrong, but things just weren't working. So now I am in pursuit of a production company that will help me build a new Tom Knapp bird hunting TV show. And I've got high hopes that it'll be on the air for 2013. Uh, maybe if we get in on the back quarter of 2012, that would be lucky. But uh, we're still working on some TV shows. I've been involved with Benelli's American Safari on a big game show. I hosted that for one year. Benelli's American Bird Hunter, like I say, I was with that for 14 years, and seven of the last years I hosted it. 
bird hunting America is is done and gone, and uh, I'm working not only on another bird hunting show, but I'm working on a new shooting show, and that is that that idea will uh, intercept the idea on how people can set up a shooting range, whether it be with uh, air guns. It doesn't matter. I mean, uh, 22s, shotguns, whatever they can do, they can do in their backyard if they have the proper place. A backyard shooting range is fun, you know, even if you do it with air guns or something that's permissible. Just a second last question to finish off. You already told me some good funny stories, but let's finish off with a story say uh something that you remember that stood out in the life of tom knapp so maybe personal accomplishment a hunting story shooting story or something that might you know maybe give the uh you know the listeners a laugh or even just maybe you know your best day in argentina and how many birds you shot i don't know you pick the story tom it's up to you something that will uh you know stand out to our listeners i remember one time in uh south dakota and I was running the uh, g- camera on top of my gun. And everybody loves the view of that uh, camera because it shows a, an actual sight picture. But what they don't understand <clears throat> is that if the camera sees the correct sight picture, that means that the camera is in my way. And so I have to hold my head above the camera and shoot with a high head, which then, of course, creates a high point of impact, usually. But I have the ability to compensate for that, except for this one time. And a rooster got up, and I mean, it was a gimme. I mean, it was a rooster that gets up close. It falters, you know, going up and to the right and typically, I'd shoot the head right off that rooster. And uh, I fired three shots at it and never even pulled a feather because I was looking over the top of that camera. And, of course, the camera caught, not only the big camera caught the miss, but my gun camera caught the miss, and they actually put it together and played it, except that they left my audio in there, which... After I fired the three shots, uh, I think I hollered out something of, well, I'll put it in a different uh, text. I went to a live show. I got done. I was greeting the, the audience after this, and a guy come up and said, hey, I just seen you on TV, and you missed a pheasant. And I said, no, you weren't listening. I didn't miss a pheasant. I missed a son of a beep. <laughs> uh, that's how they put that. Because I think I hollered out, you know, I fired bang, 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 and I said, don't come, don't ever come back, you son of a beep. Yeah, that's all right. You can say it anyway. It doesn't matter anyway. We're not a children's <laughs> show, I don't think, anyway, Tom, so. Yeah, well, that was pretty funny. And then, uh, oh, gee whiz, stories, uh, stories galore, but... Uh, uh, one that comes to mind. Well, you go ahead and ask me another question, and I'll 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 think. We'll come back to this. Oh, that was pretty much my last one, Tom. I mean, let me just have a look through my questions here. Uh, 
I guess I've pretty much answered. Okay, before you do that one, I guess that last question to finish off, if you know people want to find out, say, you know, I mean, because you know, I've got a few guests from overseas listening to my podcast too, different countries. So if um, people want to find out about you, either or how they can go to you know Argentina in February, or how they can go uh, find out about you on your website, or how can they contact you? How can they do that on your website? Can you give them all the details? Yes, sir, I can. My website is, uh, of course, the www.tomnap.net. And I remind everybody, I'm not a .com. Go to tomnap.net. That's T-O-M-K-N-A-P-P dot net. And you have a selection bar on the left-hand side, and you can look at my appearance page, which shows where I'm doing my live shows. You can go to my online store and buy gun accessories and everything. And uh, regarding magazine extensions, of course, that's that's uh, all relevant to your local laws. And uh, But there's other accessories on my online store that... Uh, are interesting and I have a, a large variety uh, of a video library of Benelli's American Bird Hunter, Benelli's American Safari and many many other TV appearances that I've made, the History Channel. Uh, you mentioned Extreme Marksman where I shot the uh, bullet through the airborne washer. Uh, there's also one called the Showman Shooter uh, that uh, shows me shooting an aspirin out of the air with the 22 mag and then of course there's extreme marksman no i think it's called more extreme marksman where i do a multitude of different tricks including splitting a playing card at 100 yards with a 45 caliber henry rifle yeah i saw that on youtube too last night i think too yeah the i think it was an ace ace of Spades, no, Ace of Diamonds, was it, I think? Yeah, it was Ace of Spades, I believe. And then uh, and shooting a golf ball off of a post at 50 yards with the same rifle while I was uh, warming up. Uh, but you can also go to my What's New page and find out more about my uh, Argentine Tom Knapp show and tell. That's on my What's New page at TomKnapp.net. And, uh, again, if you were to save five grand, come to Argentina, play around with me, and you're going to come home with money left, left over. And um, and the, the What's New page has, uh, if you look down at the bottom, that has archives of different uh, articles and stuff that you can look at. We got Tom's favorite hunting spots where you can find out some of the places I have hunted and some of the places that I'll certainly go back to because of the uh, extraordinary hunts. The, uh, the You know, I mean, I've, I've got a fair amount of traffic coming onto that website, but you'll find a lot of stuff that's interesting even if you can't get there. My wife has a uh, recipe page for all the wild game that we bring home, and uh, that's worth a look. Yeah, I saw that. That's your wife, Colleen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Colleen. She, uh, she she is actually one of the few family members that did not shoot a deer this year. She let one of the uh, a nice eight-point white-tailed buck go 
and it was right in her backyard, and she could have shot it right off the deck, uh, standing on the deck of the uh, north side of the house, and we're allowed to do that here, but uh, she let it go. Jason, if you want to come down to Argentina, I guarantee you we'll do a podcast down there live while we're shooting that will just trip your uh, listener's trigger. You can bet after this uh, show takes place, and I, uh, I'll i be definitely having a look at your website, that's for sure, and have a look, see if I can uh, manage it. If I could, I'll definitely... Oh. I'm even thinking about it now, so you're getting me excited already. <laughs> well, if you, uh, pardon the expression, but if you want to shoot until you puke, that's the place to do it. Oh, yeah. And I love I love wing shooting, Tom. I just, you know, it's the best. I just, I don't know. I, I went over in America back in 08 and hadn't done much sort of bird hunting over here and then got got taken out for some doves down in Waco, Texas, and Ever since then, mate, I've been hooked on fire. They hooked on firearms, hooked on clay targets, hooked on wing shooting, any type of shooting. It's just, it's, it's, it's the best. It's the best. And if, and traditions that have been going for centuries, century upon century. You bet. Hey, uh, Jason, are you gonna uh, come up to the shot show at Las Vegas this uh, January, middle of January? No, I'd love to, but I am planning on another trip. I've been to the states uh, five times. Uh, uh, over the years, like 2002, 2003, 2004. Then I came back in 2008 and 2009 and haven't been back for three years because I've got some really good friends in uh, Dallas, around Dallas, Texas, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I was planning on a trip, but you know, if I, if I hit Argentina, those funds might not be there for the end of the year trip this year. But you know, I'm, I'd probably be willing to sacrifice it to get over and hunt some doves in Argentina, that's for sure. To close this out, I just got to say that my uh, one of my dreams is to come down there to Australia and look around and do a little flyabout and everything. I've got Australia up on Google Earth right now, and I'm not I'm not um, uh, knowledgeable on the geolo- uh, ge- geographic part of it. So tell me where on the island you are. I'm in Sydney, so on the east coast, about three quarters of the way down, you'll see Sydney, Australia. All right. And uh, so maybe we should trade. I, you come and play with me in, in Argentina, and I'll come to Sydney and uh, let you show me around. Oh, in a, in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat, absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I'll check it out online after we finish this podcast, and maybe we might be able to sort something out. That would be great. To all your listeners, Jason, all I can do right now is wish everybody the best year coming ever because I'm having one. All right, Tom, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. You've uh, given us a huge amount of knowledge on the show today. I'm sure, you know, this is going to be another another great episode that people are going to be listening to. And, you know, I love, uh, you know, going around the world. I've interviewed people from America, England, you know, Australian hunters and shooters, politicians. Um, and I'm sure, as again in this uh, episode, you are going to drop a lot of knowledge on people and people are going to be able to use it. They've probably enjoyed hearing what you've said because they've probably seen you on YouTube as well. I know a lot of people know who you are here as well. So thanks a lot, mate. I really do appreciate it. And hopefully I can see you in Argentina, mate. That would be the absolute best thing I could possibly do over the next month or so. So. Well, thank you, Jason. I had a ball doing it. And uh, anytime you want to get together with me, you just, you got my number. Remember, those birds are not hard to hit. They're just easy to miss.
<laughs> no worries. Thanks for coming on the show, Tom. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jason. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.